Today I will be sharing my views regarding contextualizing the theory behind difference of opinion amongst scholars and my theory of having in place a relevant framework for, from which scholars from different backgrounds, sectarian backgrounds can draw upon in order to promote unity, dialogue and mutual benefit. The Quran puts forth the doctrine of egalitarianism of all humanity irrespective of multiplicity. This endeavor was the Quran's moral role and obligation in responding swiftly to the tyranny and prejudice that was prevalent in the Meccan society prior to Islam. After effectively transforming Arabia from what Professor Masood al-Hassan depicts as being a sensitive land which was primitive into emerging as a unified organized administration, still the straits of ignorance were subconsciously prevalent. When the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, instructed his Abyssinian slave Bilal to climb the Holy Kaaba to call or to make the call of prayer, the elites of Mecca, including Sahal bin Amr, Harith ibn Hisham, and Abu Sufyan bin Harb, were astonished on seeing this former black slave standing on the Holy Kaaba and protested, did Allah and his messenger not find anyone to call to prayer except this raven? To which Allah then revealed the aforementioned verse from Surah Al-Hujurat. Ya yuhan nas, inna khalaqnakum min dhakrin wa untha, wa ja'alnakum shu'uban wa qaba'ila li ta'arafu, inna akramakum and Allah yatqaqum, inna Allah, inna Allah alimun kabir. O mankind, indeed, we have created you from a single male and female and made you peoples and tribes that you may know, so that you may know one another or may know one another. Indeed, the most noble of you in the power of Allah is the most righteous of you. Indeed, Allah is all knowing and all aware. When we further scrutinize history, we discover that amongst the very first societies existing under the notion of multiculturalism, was founded by the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in the city of Medina, promptly referred to as the Medinan Charter. The Quranic verse standardizes the unique role and responsibility of humanity in relation to multiculturalism. With such diversity, it enables humans to mutually benefit from one another. The exegetists draw their readers' attention to the word ta'arafu, meaning know one another. To facilitate this quench, the primary role of mankind or humankind is the dissemination of knowledge which mutually benefits all to know one another. To know one another, one must first share his experience and knowledge with those who the Quran refers to as people and tribes. Contrary to the claim of uniformity, the Quran not only ambiguously acknowledges diversity of the creation, but encourages striving for good and provides the rationale behind such endeavor. Allah says, had Allah willed, he would have made you one nation, but he intended to test you in what he has given you. So race to that goal, to that which is good. To Allah is your return altogether, and he will inform you concerning that over which you used to differ. This diversity of creation is further highlighted in the Noble Quran in Surah Al-Rum. Chapter 30, verse 22, in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala emphasizes this idea and he says, which means, and of his signs is the creation of the heavens and the earth 
and the diversity of your language and color. Indeed, in that are signs for those of knowledge. The attempt of unifying all political, social, economical ideas will undoubtedly fail due to its rivalry to the natural disposition of the creation. The prior mentioned verse underlines that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed for his creation to be diversified. In all aspects, not only through this diversity should creation, not only through this diversity does Allah acknowledge and encourages to compete with one another and contribute to the safeguarding of our world. From this undertaking, Islam navigates the jurist, the scholar, to a system of jurisprudence which conforms with the natural disposition of the creation. This jurisprudence is the idealism of managing the manner from which the legal rulings can be extracted from the most important legal sources or status for having a difference of opinion. It becomes transparent that difference of opinions bear no reckoning to either the lack of information or the abundance, but to the ultimate truth that differences have occurred since the beginning of creation or between the, the various nations and tribes. The jurist must be fully aware of the sentiments, the realities and the circumstances of the place or time he finds himself. The Quran emphasizes this in Surah Ibrahim, verse number four. Allah says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ رَسُولِ إِلَّا بِلِسَانِ قَوْمِ Which means, uh, that the, the verse, sorry, yeah. and we do not send any message, any messenger, except in the language of the people. Mufti Muhammad Taqi Usmani argues that knowing the language is not sufficient, but being fully aware of their understanding, the joys, the sentiments, the hopes and fears, and attaining a fully comprehensive awareness of the nature of people is conditional with dealing with them justly and morally. The, underline, the underlining rationale of issuing any legal ruling is the momentous task of the jurist primarily adhering to three vital elements. Firstly, the nusus, the text. Secondly, the maqasid, the aims or means. And thirdly, the zaman, the time. What is primarily essential is that the jurist comprehends that his opinion cannot be forced on society who may adhere to something contrary to him. This reminds us of an incident from early Islam when the Abbasid Caliph Al-Mansur proposed that Imam Malik's magnus opus Al-Muwatta to be propagated throughout the Muslim world and obliging all to accept its legal status. Malik refused and said the following, do not act on this as various hadith and opinions of the Sahaba have reached the people and, ha and, have, and they have begun acting on those narrations. The difficulty of making them change their view is very prevalent. Hence, allow each state to follow what he chooses for itself. The 12th century theologian or Hanbali theologian, Ibn, Ibn Qayyim al-Jawziyah alludes that opinions and decrees can be susceptible to change and argues that no single opinion can be universal. He underpins the conditions for such a change. He says, for decrees do change with the time, place, customs, and circumstances. 
the jurist is encouraged to engage with an open mind with various opinions. The legal standing and ultimately the evidences. It is for this reason that the renowned Moroccan scholar Al-Hafid Sayyid Ahmed bin Siddiq Al-Ghumari adamantly encouraged experts to avoid blind imitation and to seek out legal evidences employed by the Mujtahid. Due to time, due to time constraint, kindly refer to my paper on copyright, which further highlights arguments surrounding when legal opinions can be changed or abandoned. Extreme care should also be taken into consideration when the jurists provide juristical guidance to the, to, the, to the public. This is further explained by the renowned Maliki jurist, Shihabuddin Qarafi, who says the following, whenever new traditions, customs are initiated, take care of them. And when they are practiced no longer, ignore them. Do not blindly follow what is transmitted in the various texts, but if a man, but if a man from an alternative place comes to you in order to seek a decree, hesitate by not notifying him of the customs of your people, has an alternative inquire about the customs of his people and hold him responsible according to that and not via your, not via your customs or what is written in your compendiums of fatawa. The absolute truth and blind following was the previous transmitted is misguidance and very ignorant of understanding the pious predecessors. A further area which some may argue that is a requirement for change is theological opinions or identity. I would disagree with these sentiments and argue that what makes us stronger is the diverse theological viewpoints that we adhere to. However, saying this, the red line is the avoidance of takfir excommunication of Muslims with no legal ground. To promote further mutual understanding between different factions of the Muslim scholarly traditions, I humbly put forth two frameworks, which in my opinion will foster better understanding, mutual respect and harmony within the Muslim community. The introductory framework is related to individual Muslims, the public da'wah, and provides them with the per pertinent mechanism to firstly identify and then internalize the theory of unity. The subsequent framework relates to predominantly to the scholarly ulama community. It underpins a coherent mechanism in order to facilitate diversity and differences within the Muslim scholarly tradition. The framework for Muslims is what? The framework for Muslims is the need to examine the rationale behind what is Muslim unity? The usual utopia is uniformity or agreeing to discuss our commonalities, which I personally perceive as being amongst the greatest threat to Muslim unity. There can be no grounds for uniformity, as theological differences have existed and have evolved over time. However, these differences and how we perceive others depend ultimately on the jurist to be able to, to acclimate to modern realities when providing religious edicts or verdicts and guidance. The core components of nature or the core components or nature of this process is primarily based on harnessing the textual evidences against the contemporary realism 
and ultimately the application of the maqasid. The scholarly community must embrace a specific mechanism which will enable, in my humble opinion, his ruling to be more coherent and agreeable. This mechanism that I'm referring to is the usage of maqasid al-sharia, has a premises to derive legal ruling. The Mauritanian scholar, Sheikh Abdullah bin Bayya, alludes that maqasid al-sharia is the middle way that can bridge the ideals of revelation with the social realities that continue to experience development. The ultimate idea concerning the maqasid is what Robert Dixon Crane alludes, has been stemmed from the idea of truth based on the Quranic verse, chapter 6, verse 115, that provides a reasoning that ultimate rationale is seeking the truth by what Crane calls using the intellectual jihad, intellect, to seek out the truth. In the pretext of contextualizing the definition of maqasid al-sharia, Crane asserts that the theory is that all revealed revelations contain a universal paradigm of thought, has a meta-legal guideline provided to human humans regarding their rights and responsibility. Its ultimate purpose is sensing the wisdom and the end result of the legislation of the Muslim jurist referred to as the foundational framework. The 20th century prominent Tunisian scholar Muhammad Tahir ibn Ashur defines maqasid al-sharia as the deeper meaning, the inner wisdom that the lawgiver has contemplated in respect of all of the Sharia ordinances. The Maqasid al-Sharia was classified into three categories by, Ab Ab uh, by Abdul Malik ibn Yusuf al-Juwaini, died 1085, representing three core fund foundations of the Maqasid, the essentials, the complementaries, and the desirable embellishments. Al-Juwaini val validates that the Sharia aims to fulfill the interest of humanity, and hence his interchangeable uses of maslaha has, or from the principles of jurisprudence with legitimizing the uses of maqasid. A further evolving of the theory into categories was undertaken by Juwaini's student and most senior student, Abu Hamad al-Ghazali. Similar to his teacher's approach, Ghazali was initially skeptical of the usage of maslaha in the application of deriving legal rulings, debates its necessity and unprecedented against the Dururiyat into five higher objectives, which form the basic principles of the Maqasid. The, uni the five universal higher objectives are being the protection of faith, deen, protection of life, protection of nasl, the protection of mal, and the protection of akal. These being the absolute paramount to be guarded, to be guided, or safeguarded, should I say, against all odds. Has the principle of deriving legal stance of maqasid veer, the juristic principle of maslaha, which is open to ta'wil, Crane argues that there can be no limit to how many core higher objectives of maqasid as sharia, because it's a natural law which expresses itself via the Islamic framework of vital rights. This framework is the idealism that jurists from whatever theological standing is able to derive his rulings or his verdict 
that are firstly coherent, secondly harmonious with the maqasid al-shari'ah. This will ultimately enable a holistic approach with dealing with the Muslim scholarly traditions. There is a dire necessity to be open and honest. And there is also a dire necessity for an open and honest platform from where scholars from different facets of society can debate, discuss, and contextualize the Muslim scholarly traditions in a friendly and academic manner. It requires questioning ourselves and others openly and freely without the threat of any retaliation of judgment. The final stage of this framework involves what I call the idealism of understanding and cooperation, which has three levels in my opinion. The first level is tolerance, meaning tolerating each other. However, in real essence, this level is bound to collapse as it really means I won't kill you now. Then there is the higher next level, often referred to as diversity, which means I accept you, but I wish you were not here. This diversity level is why I believe that multiculturalism has not really failed, but in essence did not achieve its utmost aim. The final level is what we call pluralism, which is the most acceptable approach to bringing the best out of people. The idea of approaching others under the pretext that we are different, but have so much to learn from each other. And this is the direct commentary of the verse from Surah Al-Hujarat, verse 13, which I quoted earlier on. O mankind, that's fine. O mankind, indeed we have created you from a single male and female and made you peoples and tribes that you may know one another. This, in my opinion, is the highest level and what is required in the modern world. Muslim unity is possible, but under the pretext of mutual benefit, understanding our differences, and under the pretext of plurality. Concluding, I would say that if we implement both of these frameworks, one amongst the public, by demonstrating to them the role and the need for Muslim unity, and secondly, if scholarly people can come together and give certain rulings based upon a system which we agree is coherent and is harmonious with the maqasid, this will set the precedence for inshallah further cooperation between the Muslims and further cooperation between the different aspects of our society. And my final words is this is something we have endeavored of doing at Dar al-Iftah wal-Aqaid. Dar al-Iftah wal-Aqaid is a platform where scholars from different backgrounds will give what we call universal answers rather than Sunni Shia answers to provide guidance. So I think a similar approach is needed for the public. And when the public see conferences like this and see that scholars are debating and putting together relevant frameworks, we can then inshallah look towards uh, bringing more benefit and we can look towards a, more, a society where inshallah rather than is discussing those are relevant secondary issues that really don't divide us. We can be beacons of light for our society, inshallah. Jazakallah khairan for your time. Uh, may Allah reward you. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.